Good to see you guys. Thank you for being here this morning. And for everybody who's watching on the live stream too, I'm glad that you guys are here with us as well. Uh, run through the notices real quick if I can. So today, um, no youth 
catechism class at 11.30, we're going to have um, the congregational meeting about voting on whether or not to let Christ Community Lutheran School begin their micro school here in our facility. That'll happen at 11.30. You guys, uh, those of you who are here in person right now, you're more than welcome. Those of you who are members, more than welcome to come back for that. Uh, if you don't want to, you can vote at home. I should You should have received an email from me with a link to um, the live stream of that meeting and also a link to a Google form where you can vote from home. If you didn't get that and you're a member and you do want to vote from home, please let me know and I can get you that um, in between the services this morning. Um, there, there will be adult Bible study at 1230 though, so uh, that meeting should not take that whole hour. So at 1230, uh, we'll be looking at Deuteronomy 9 today, so if you want to participate in that, that'll be on Zoom. Let me know as well. Um, Wednesday evening, we're back to the screw tape letters. Um, this evening, the, uh, Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock, uh, women's Bible study Saturday morning. Uh, men's Bible study, we will not meet um, uh, this week or probably next week, but we are going to start a new study uh, working through uh, a book called Man Up, The Quest for Masculinity uh, by Pastor Jeff Hemmer. Uh, Tim Schnicker is going to be leading that. That'll be on Tuesday mornings at 6.30. If you want to participate in that, and the last Bible study we had was a really good time, uh, let the office know, and uh, they can get a book ordered for you. That's $16. And we'll probably start here in two or three weeks once we know who all is going to be there and have the books ordered. Uh, youth group Tuesday night. Um, I think that's all I have. 11.30 is the, day, the, the time for the... Uh, congregational meeting today, so that's kind of the big one. All right, uh, go ahead and stand with me, and we will continue in worship. Let's open uh, up this morning with prayer. Uh, Father, we need uh, your presence here to transform us. We come here as uh, uh, broken people who've messed up in all different kinds of ways this week, and we need you to make our hearts new. We need you to transform us so that we look more like your son, Jesus. And so we're praying in the name of your Son, Jesus, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would come here this morning and that you would begin to shape us and fashion us to look more like you. This is something that we need you to do. We don't need information. We need your transformation. And so we beg you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's pray and confess our sins to God. I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray God Almighty to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty... I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray God Almighty to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you pardon, forgiveness, and remission of all your sins. Amen. Please stay standing for the first hymn.
psalmist from Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. The Acts reading is the story of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. This is from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 15. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
Christians by our love. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. And together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. All praise to the Father from whom all things come, and all praise to Christ Jesus, His only Son, and all praise to the Spirit who makes us one. Epistle reading is uh, in the sermon text is from 1 John 4. It's the whole chapter 4. John says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Which you, heard, which, you have heard, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Does that, am, I, like, am I the only one who feels like that that's 
Like just, you know, when you just first read that, it's a bit on the convoluted side. Like he's kind of back and forth about like, you know, love God, God loves you, love your brother. I'm telling you that if you don't love your brother, you don't love God. And God loves you, so love your brother. This commandment I received, love your, it's just kind of back and forth. Well, I, this is a lot here, okay? And it's a long chapter. I, don't, I didn't make up the lectionary, but it's what we're stuck with today is First John 4. There's actually two or three sermons in here but I'm only going to preach one at you this morning. And, and what I'm going to try to do is I want to give us kind of a framework for working through the sort of the convoluted. It's not convoluted necessarily, but through the back and forth. You know, John's not, he's not, this isn't like a paper that you learn in English 101 in college where he's going to give you an intro and then main point one, two, and three, and then the conclusion. It's more like, in a lot of scriptures like this, it's more symphonic than that. It's, it's not logical as much as it is a theme, sub-theme, like, you know, like a symphony or a, a really good jazz tune. Like there's the theme and then somebody's going to riff on it and then somebody's going to come back to the theme and then there's going to be a secondary theme and then they're going to come back to the first. It's more like that. So if that helps you kind of work through it, it's not that he, you know, it's not that he's just really hyper and can't control his thoughts. He's giving you flavors back and forth. So this chapter fits in with chapters 3 and 5. Chapter 3, do you remember this is, John's really interested in testing. How do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know that you have the truth? And so in chapter 3, last week we talked about, there was basically three tests he gave us, which is, do you believe in Jesus and love your brothers? He's going to come back to the love theme here in a minute, and the believe in Jesus theme. Two, do you have the Holy Spirit? And then three, if you aren't sure where you're at, don't listen to your heart because God's bigger than your heart. Don't let your heart condemn you. Well, the very last verse from our reading last time was about the Holy Spirit. You don't have this. This is chapter 3, verse 24, or right before our chapter. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now, he's going to jump to ch chapter 4 is the very next verse. He's going to do two things in chapter 4. One is to play out the question of, okay, so... If I have the Spirit, I belong to Jesus. How do I know what the Spirit is? And chapter 4 is, the first thing chapter 4 is about is talking about what does it mean to have the Holy Spirit? How can you tell that the Spirit that you have is the Holy Spirit and not one of the other spirits on offer? But the second thing that he wants to do with that is not just test. He wants you and me to not be afraid of condemnation. That's the payout for this chapter. We're going to get to this at the very end of chapter 4. Don't be afraid of being condemned. Okay, so everybody, everybody fights the fear of being condemned. And somebody might be like, okay, so I, fear of being condemned by what? Well, by anything, actually, right? Um, it could be the fear of being condemned by God. Some, some of you struggle with that. Even Some of you are Christians struggle with that. Am I really a Christian? Is God really... Is he happy with me or is he unhappy with me? Is he judging me? Am I being punished for stuff I've done? And I don't even know what it is, but I do kind of know what it is, but I don't want to talk about it. But I think God's punishing me even decades later for that. Some of you struggle with the fear that you're being condemned by God. Some of you, you're not necessarily struggling with that for whatever reason. It could be good reason. You have a good relationship with God. It could be that you just kind of like put that behind you so often that you don't even worry about like the whole God thing. But every one of you struggles with the fear of condemnation. It might not be God, it might, it, it might be, you know, you like to be thought of as, uh, you, you know, as good at such and such. 
and you're kind of nervous that other people don't know that you're good at such and such. That's a sort of condemnation, to not meet up the standards that you want to meet up with that gives you a sense of purpose and meaning identity. It could, could be that you know, you're know you a, a, a nice dad, or it could be that you're a nice cook, or it could just be that you're a nice person. But if other people aren't recognizing that, if other people think that you're not a nice person, when your identity is, I'm the nice person, that's condemnation. Maybe it's not even coming from outside of you. Maybe it's coming from inside of you. Maybe you struggle with this sense like, I don't have value. I don't have worth. I, I haven't accomplished what I want to accomplish. It's going to give me the importance that I want to have, the sense that I want to have. Every single person struggles with condemnation. Nobody is perfectly, completely satisfied with themselves and with how everybody else sees them. And then if you add on top of that the God equation, it's a whole nother level. John does not want you to struggle with this. He does not want you to experience condemnation. And in this, chapter 4, there's a flow. He's going to make an argument, and I know it's like if you're used to, you know, rhetoric, freshman rhetoric class, it's hard to suss it out. But the argument, I'm trying to point out the argument for you today, and it goes like this. It basically makes three big steps. One is in the first section where he argues that. It starts with your confession. What do you confess? And then the second move in the middle section is your confession will lead to community. And then the third move in the third section is your community will lead to confidence. So it starts with confession. It moves to community, which flows out of confession. And then it moves to confidence, which flows out of community, okay? So first of all, let's start with uh, the confession thing. Now he says up here in verse two, by this you know the Spirit of God. So here's the question. How can you know if the Spirit that you have is the Spirit of God? It's this way. You can know the Spirit of God because every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So it starts with the confession. So somebody, you, you know, you read this and maybe somebody will say, so you're, you're saying that all you have to do is say that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and then you belong to God? And I'll say, well, yeah, basically. Uh, as long as we understand that the word say here, is, it's actually not the word say, it's the word confess. Confessing, it's a word, whether in English, you know, etymologically or in Greek, it means to agree with, to say the same thing as somebody else. So when you confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you're agreeing, you're not just saying the word, you're saying, that's me, I'm in on that. It's the same thing when you confess your sins, except for that's all negative. You know, when, you, when we confess our sins, we're saying, I agree with God that what I do is wrong, even if I don't think it's wrong. Even if, even if I don't feel like it's wrong, I'm agreeing with God. Same thing here, when you confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you're agreeing with God that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Even if it doesn't make sense to you, even if there's moments when you doubt it, well, all of us are there sometimes, uh, some of us are there a lot of times, you, confession says, I agree with God, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Okay, what I want to do for the next few minutes is just to do some basic Christian theology and look at that confession. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So what are we saying when we say that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? So first of all, it starts with the word Jesus, right? Christianity is Jesus-centric. It's got the word Christ right in the name. The Holy Spirit, in fact, is Jesus-centric. This is how you know the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit causes you to confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, it's the Holy Spirit because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's main job in Scripture is to promote, to convince people, to cause people to confess, to agree with God, that Jesus is the center of the universe. It's Jesus-centric. In fact, 
Anytime you see the Holy Spirit causing people to talk in the New Testament, it's always going to be Jesus-centric. It could be, um, go all the way back to the Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where the uh, early disciples get the gift of tongues and the Holy Spirit. The 3,000 people get saved, but it's not because of the gift of tongues. That's just a means. The reason why they get saved is because the disciples, by the power of the Holy Spirit, say, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead. And now, through repentance and baptism, you can have forgiveness of sins. It, it all goes back to Jesus. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, St. Paul agrees with John. He says that what the Holy Spirit does, nobody can say that Jesus is Lord, he says, except by the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit causes people to confess that Jesus is Lord, causes people to confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The Holy Spirit is always Jesus-centric. Now, I was thinking about this this week, and then Angela gave me this. She ripped out this article from St. Louis Magazine about this, this kid who's got this really cool career going where he's, he's a book conservator, which, which is not important to what I want to tell you. Anyway, he takes old and antique books and restores them. But there was this interview with him in St. Louis Magazine, and he was talking about he grew up in a pastor's home in St. Louis. And so whenever I see something like that, I always look the person up because I always think, you know, I've moved in several, several different church circles in my life. And I wonder if I might know the guy. And I didn't. He was a, a, a pastor of a church that I've never had any sort of contact with. It's a mainline church. And on their website, he is this guy's dad's bio, and he's talking about what's important to him. And the very last line says this, and this is kind of a common theme in contemporary mainline Christian theology. This, I'm just going to give you a quote from what he says. I trust that there will always be a church of Jesus Christ, but I believe the Holy Spirit is presently shaping the church in new and different ways for God's future. See what he says? I trust that there will always be a church of Jesus Christ, but I think the Holy Spirit is doing something new and different with God's future. You see what he's doing? Christianity is so narrow. All that Jesus stuff is so narrow. I think the whole, we're now living in the age of the Spirit. We're past all that narrow. It's got to be Jesus stuff. And now I think God is doing something new and liberating. And what he needs to do is to read 1 John 4 and see that wherever the Holy Spirit is, there goes Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always Jesus-centric. Yes, there's a certain narrowness to this. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. It is essentially binary. To say that I believe in Jesus and that Jesus is the only way is essentially binary. Is that offensive and oppressive? It could be, perhaps, except for, it, may, it might be. I'll just put it out there, it might be. However, it's unavoidable. Everybody is binary. If you say, I think that that, what you just said about Jesus is kind of closed-minded and offensive and binary, you actually have made a closed-minded, offensive, binary statement by saying, I think that you're wrong and I'm right. I mean, I'm just saying that I'm wrong and I think that you should agree with me. And you're saying that, that no, I said I'm right, right? Did I say I was wrong? It's I, stop me if I ever say something horribly untrue like that. I'm just kidding. You know, I, I think that I'm right, that Jesus is the Lord of the universe and that you, you should agree with me. But you think that you're right, that I'm closed-minded, and I should agree with you. The question is not who's binary and who's offensive. The question is, what do we do with it? Do we love each other? Do I give you the space to say, to, to, to say what you think? So that, that's the question here. Is Jesus, yes, necessarily so. 
It's, it's, it, Jesus is, if I, if I claim that he's the only way, that is necessarily exclusive. However, I'm encouraging all people to believe in this too. Because wherever the Holy Spirit is, it's Jesus. That's where Jesus is. So second of all, he's the Christ. It's Jesus. Christ has come in the flesh. Christ is, um, Christ just means, Christ is the Greek word for the anointed one, just like Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed one. So we're talking about Jesus, the Messiah here. Whenever you're talking about the Messiah, whenever you claim that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ, what you're saying is, is that he is the one who's going to come and put things to right. In Jewish thought of Jesus' day, the Messiah was the one who was going to come and fix everything. What we confess when we confess that Jesus is the Messiah is that Jesus is the one chosen by God to fix everything. That means necessarily that all the other messiahs on offer are fake messiahs. Now, it could be the fake messiahs of Jesus' day, the messiahs of political and military conquest. That's, it, 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 could be, it could be that. But that's not going to work. Political and military conquest never accomplish anything. It's going to have to be Jesus who puts things to right. It could be, it could be the uh, false messiah of individual sovereignty. I realize I talk about this a lot. But if I can just be in charge, if my group can just be in charge, if we can get our people in power, if people will just listen to me, everything will be better. That's a false messiah too. If your people that you, if every single person that you wanted was in political power, if every single person in your family always listened to you and always did what you said, the world would still be a screwed up place, maybe even more screwed up. Jesus is the only, when we confess that Jesus is the Messiah, we confess that our own individual power and our striving for power is not the Messiah. It could be a transcendent experience. This is not a thing now, but back in the 1960s, there was a movement in some branches of Christianity you know, to experience with acid trips and LSD because there were ways to get like this other level of transcendent experience. That was what was going to rescue us, right? Your transcendent experience might not be uh, drugs. It could be romance. This is another a common Messiah. If I, can just, if I could just meet a special someone, if I could just get married, if my spouse would just be the spouse I want her to be, everything would be better. That's a false Messiah too. Again, there's nothing wrong with marriage, but it's a false Messiah if we think that it's going to rescue us. All these other false Messiahs, and there's, I, could just, I have a list here of, of them, but I'm not going to go through all of them because... I mean, you know what they are. You know the things that you put your hopes and trust in that you've got to be reminded, oh, dang it, no, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy me. When we confess that Jesus is the Messiah, we confess that he's the only one who can put things to right. And then finally, we confess that he's come in the flesh. The, the word flesh here it doesn't just mean body. It means body, of course, but it means more than that. It means human nature. In the New Testament, the word flesh frequently means human nature, including a body. And what we're saying there is we're saying that Jesus Christ has taken upon himself human nature in order to rescue us and everything that that means. One of our temptations as human beings and as Christians as well is to say the solution to our problems can be boiled down to, and we narrow it down to one aspect of human nature. So for instance, in churches like ours and synods like ours, it's tempting to think that like it's all doctrinal and theological. Like, if we have good theology and we think right and we know truth, everything's going to be okay. Well, that's, um, that's, a, that's a slimmed down version of reality. When we confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, he didn't just come in the mind. 
Jesus Christ doesn't just go and hear it between our ears. There's uh, other types of Christianity. Some of you are like this as well, uh, where it's more emotional. It's more like what we need is this like powerful emotional experience of connecting with God. Again, that's, uh, that, that's you know, and, and, and sometimes like the doctrine is less important, just like for the people who are like emphasized doctrine, emotions aren't important. You don't want to show emotions. You know, and both sides really don't like the way the other side goes about Christianity. Both sides think that the others aren't very good Christians. Both sides don't like each other's music and stuff like that. And what, it, what these are, these are shortened down, slimmed down, uh, stinted versions of what Christianity is going to be, and that makes them not really hollow versions of Christianity. There's other versions, too. Maybe a Roman Catholic version would be you know, sort of a physical thing. You go to church, you take the sacraments, you do, with your, you, go, you do the thing with your body. You come and worship physically. And again, Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And what that means is, is that all of Jesus is determined to rescue all of us and all of creation. That means that Jesus is intellectual. Jesus is also emotional. Jesus is also physical. Jesus wants you to experience him intellectually. He wants you to study. He wants you to know him. He wants you to have conversations with him. Jesus also wants you to experience him emotionally. If you can think about your love for Jesus, and for the, I know that we're all cold at different times, but if you can be in the love of Jesus and not have any sort of emotional response, it's the same thing as if you would like, raise your kids and not ever feel a single thing about them. It's just not possible. If you really know your kids, you're going to have feelings about them. Sometimes they're good feelings, sometimes they're bad feelings, but there are feelings there. When you know God, sometimes they're good feelings, sometimes they're bad feelings. But if he came in the flesh, if Jesus came in the flesh, then he is the God of our feelings as well. Also physically, and this is why we have relationships with him. This is why we come and we experience the reality of God physically in the bread and the wine is because God, Jesus Christ, came in the flesh, and that means he's here to rescue all of us. Now, community is a big part of that. This is physical. Coming here and being here in person and working on relationships with each other, that's physical. So let's move to the second point, because for John, it starts with confession. But this confession that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh means that there's something tangible and powerful and real about community. It's got to be fleshed out, literally fleshed out. And that's his next point here. Look down at verse 7 with me. The Christian community is to be marked by love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If Jesus Christ has, has come in the flesh, that means that me and you in the flesh have to experience that. That means community. I experience, this is going to be one of his arguments here. I'm going to suss this out for us in just a second. You experience God in community, in relationship. The confession that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that's the foundation. It is non-negotiable and it's absolutely essential. But if you do not move from that to experiencing the love of God in the flesh shared among the brothers and sisters, then, you have, then your confession has not been fleshed out. And if Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, it has to be fleshed out, okay? This is what he's saying in, uh, uh, in the second section, chapter four, verses seven and following. So, Three steps here that John's going to do. So first of all, I gave you the first one. Um, uh, so so uh, we're to be marked by love. Three steps. First of all, verse 8, God loves us. That's the first step. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to, the be, to be the propitiation for our sins. God loves you. 
That's not necessarily primarily just a feeling or a disposition. It's actually fleshed out. He sent his son Jesus to be a propitiation for our sins. God's love for us is fleshed out. That's the first step. So second of all, if God's love for us is a fleshed out love and you have experienced that love, that means that we should love each other. Verse 11, uh, beloved, if God so loved us, if you know, God so loved us, if God loved us in this way, that's what the, what the word so means there. If God loved us in a fleshed out way, we also ought to love each other in a fleshed out way. God calls us, if you've experienced his love, to be a conduit of that love, to, to be experiencing his love by fleshing it out to other brothers and sisters, which brings us to the third step, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Okay, now you're, you're reading along here. So on first reading, the first part of verse 12 is weird, right? You're reading like Jesus loves you, God sent his son to die for you. We should love each other because God loves you. You should love each other. This is the commandment. You should love each other. Nobody's ever seen God. What, is, what does that have to do with anything? Nobody's ever seen God. And then he jumps right back to like, it's almost like, he's like his body got taken over by some sort of like uh, weird whisperer for a second. That's actually, that's actually not what's going on. That's intrinsic to his argument here. Intrinsic. What does he mean by saying no one has ever seen God? What he means is this, is that God is a spiritual being and that nobody has ever, you know, you got to worship him in spirit and truth. You can't see him. However, if he has become flesh, he has been fleshed out in the Christian community. Nobody's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If you love each other, then you've seen God. This is his argument. You move from confession that God has come, Jesus has come in the flesh to that happens in community. You move from confession to community. Do you want to see God? Do you want to know who God is? Do you want to have an experience of God be in Christian community? Some of you struggle with this. Some of you struggle with doubts. You're like, I just wish I could see God and I just don't know, like I pray and I just don't feel like he hears me. You, you know what you need to do? You need to get in Christian community. You've got to quit falling for the enlightenment lie that Christianity or anything is something that you can do on your own. Nobody's seen God. You, you know, you feel like you haven't seen God. You know why? Because you haven't seen God because nobody can see God. But if you want to see God, then love each other. Be in Christian community. And in that way, your love, our love will be perfected. That's a very important word there. His love is perfected on us in verse 12. That word perfected means completed, brought to fruition. What's he saying? Is God's love not perfect? Of course it's perfect. It comes from the infinitely perfect and loving God. But in a sense, it is not complete. It is not perfected until we love each other. Does that make sense? Our love, God's love for the world is not completed until we love each other. Our, 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 I'm going to say it one more time because it's super important. And it's kind of like, I don't want anybody to think like, oh yeah, he's saying love stuff and God stuff. God's love for the world is not completed until Christians love each other and love their community. That's where God's at. That's how God has chosen to love the world. So look, you grew up with your mom, right? And your mom, she loved you. She had this disposition of affection towards you. But you know what she did? She also like fed you and uh, she clothed you and she was nice to you when you skinned your knee and she helped you apply for college 
and all that sorts of things. You know what happened? You know what she was doing? She was perfecting her love for you. She was completing her love for you by embodying in it. It was not good enough for your mom to say, I love you, but you're kind of on your own when it comes to food and, and shelter and clothing. You would say her love, however she feels about me, her love has not been perfected. It's not been completed. She fleshed it out, though, with all these actions. That's what John is saying here. Nobody's ever seen God, but you can see God in Christian community because his love has been perfected and completed in Christian community. Okay, is everybody on board? We're almost done here. Here's the third point. So start off with the confession. Confession that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh flows naturally into community. It's the only place you can know it. It's the only place you can know God. Community flows naturally into confidence. This is, this is the point that he's headed for here, is that you can be confident that you are not condemned because of Christian community, which is living out and enfleshing the confession that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So jump down with me to verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. There's the Holy Spirit again. This is all uh, in, with, and under. The Holy Spirit is roaming all through this text. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, so this is back to the confession part he's reviewing here. Verse uh, 15, confession. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Verse 16, we're going to review the community part here. So we, you see what he did there? He moved from singular in verse 15. Whoever singular confesses, in verse 16, he moves to the plural, to the community. So we have come to know and to believe that, that the love that God has for us, community. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now, verse 17, here's the confidence. If you've made it this far, if you've bought in this far, confidence is waiting for you. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, also are we in this world. Okay, let's sit in that verse for just a minute. By this is love perfected with us. What does he mean there? By this is love perfected with us. Well, you already know, because we just talked about it back in verse 12, right? His love is perfected in us in Christian community. So now if you jump down to verse 17, you already know what his love perfected, us. By, perfected with us means. By this is love perfected with us, in other words, you're experiencing the love of God in Christian community so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Do you want confidence for the day of judgment? Do you want to know that you are not condemned? You are only going to experience that in Christian community. You're only going to experience that in Christian You can go home and look in the mirror and tell yourself all you want, that you're good enough and you're smart enough and doggone it, people like you. You will not believe it because it only happens the conviction that that only happens comes in perfect love. And the perfected love is in Christian community. Keep on going. Well, the very last line of verse 17, because as he is, this is a good line, as he is, as God is, okay, so as God is, God exists, so we also are in the world. As God is, that's us in the world. You want to know who God is? Look at the Christian church in the world. That's how you know that God is. That's where love is perfected. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. What does he mean, perfect love? Well, you already know what he means by perfect love. He's been talking all along about love being perfected. Perfect love here is the love of God in, Christ, in Christian community. Love that has been fleshed out and completed and been made perfect in Christian community. That love casts out all fear. Now, even you can go home and tell yourself, God loves you. You have to believe that God loves you. God loves you. You're not going to believe it. Because there's a million other voices. Remember last week? 
your heart is standing right there saying it's not true. You're just quoting verses to yourself. You can't convince, you're just whistling in the graveyard. You can't talk yourself into something that's not true. You know that God doesn't really love you. Christian community, that's where perfect love is. He doesn't mean perfect in the sense that Christian love is perfect. and We love each other perfectly. We know that's not true. What he means is that it's completed. The love of God for the world is completed in Christian community. That's where you find out that you're accepted. That's where you find out that God actually does love you in Christian community. Look, sociology 101. You are not who you think you are. The person that you imagine yourself to be in your head, that's not who you really are. Everybody else sees a completely different person. You are not who you think you are. You are not who other people think that you are. They don't know you either. Even the people closest to you don't know who you really are. It's point one. You don't even know who you really are. You are who you think other people think you are. You're not who you think you are. You're not who other people think you are. You are who you think other people think you are. We get, what I'm saying, we get our cues for who we are from other people. You learn really early on, I've said this before, you learn really, on, really early on if you're funny or not. Third grade, you try out a joke, nobody laughs, you stop trying out jokes. You kind of figure out, I'm not funny. Third grade, you tell a joke, everybody craps, cracks up, and you kind of figure out, I'm funny. You figure out that you're a pretty good baseball player early on. You figure out that you're pretty good at music early on. You figure out that you make friends pretty, pretty easily early on. You make out that people don't think that you're very important early on. You learn that you're ugly pretty early on, and you're getting all these cues from everybody else. You don't sit there and say it to yourself. You're reading other people and what you think they're thinking about you, and that enforces in your mind who you are. And this is the main point of 1 John chapter 4. Do you want to know that you're good enough? Do you want to know that you're smart enough? Do you want to know that you're completely accepted, no questions asked, by God and by the rest of humanity? The only place that that can happen is in perfect love which casts out all fear. In other words, in the love made complete, the love of God in Jesus Christ made complete in Christian, Christian community. Okay, give me 30 seconds and I'll be done. Tips. What are you going to do with this? Are you going to be like, I don't know what he was talking about? Like, or are you going to be like, oh, that was super interesting. Christian love, perfect love cast out fear. You know what I want you to do? I want you to start doing it. At the end of the service, when I say look around and find people to connect with, this is not just like, Gosh, I hope they make friends here so that they'll be scared to leave whenever they get mad at me because they'll have too many friends here, you know? That's not what that's about. What it is is, is that we experience who God is in Jesus Christ, not intellectually, just intellectually, not just emotionally, not just physically. We experience it in community. So be texting people this week. Be having conversations with people this week. Do not go between now and next Sunday with no Christian community. Be getting involved in community group. And if you can't do that, if you're like an introvert, find one other person that you're like, I'm just going to shoot them an email or I'm going to call them and just say, I'm thinking about you and you know, I'm praying for you and I'm rooting for you or whatever. Or one other person that you can say, let's get together and get coffee and hang out. If you want to know who God is, that's the way to do it. If you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, if you want to know that Jesus loves you, Christian community is the way to do it. It's a confession of faith that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, which leads to Christian community, which is the only way biblically to get confidence that you are accepted and beloved by God and by each other. Stand with me and let's pray. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for being such a good God, and we thank you for pouring out your love on us. We thank you for making that, God, not just a concept, not just your emotional state towards us, but that you actually became enfleshed for us, that you died on the cross for us, that you rose from the dead for us, that you poured out your Holy Spirit upon us so that we, be, we could become your body enfleshed here, that your love could be perfected here amongst us. Even us who don't have perfect love for each other and are certainly struggling still with selfishness and brokenness and um, self-centeredness and all the rest, we thank you, Lord, that you've given us this way to experience who you are. Help us to find our confidence, our knowledge that we are completely accepted in each other. Build up our community here at St. James, God. Help us to love each other, to be involved in each other's lives. Help that love to overflow and pour out into Glen Carbon. Help it to be so attractive to our community for your glory, Lord, and your mercy. Father, we confess that we often um, do not trust you for this, that we often are self-lovers, that we often want to make our experience as Christians minimized and less than Holy Spirit-filled by shrinking it down to an intellectual experience or an emotional experience or a physical experience. God, give us all of you. We want to know you. We want to be students of your word. We want to be freely conversant with you in your word and in prayer. We also want to experience you emotionally. We want to sing your praises in here, not mumble your praises. We want our hearts to be filled with passion for you. We want to overflow with love for you and for each other. We want to experience you physically. Father, as we come to the royal, convince us once again that you have chosen, but by the power of your word, you've chosen to bind yourself to the ordinary elements of bread and wine and that we can know you and experience your love for us and your grace for us and your forgiveness here at the rail in your body and blood. God, help us not to shrink away from this. Help us not to pull back. Help us to be bold in confidence to know you in these different ways by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray not just for ourselves, but for the rest of our Christian community uh, here and across the world. We pray especially this morning for our brothers and sisters in our sister LCMS churches. And if I can pray especially this morning for uh, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville and Pastors Walter and Adel, that you would bless them this morning as they preach your word and as they sing your praises and as they confess their sins to each other, that you would meet with them and sanctify them. I pray for every single Bible-believing church here in Edwardsville and Glen Carbon. And this morning, as your word is proclaimed, may your kingdom be growing and growing. May, may marriages be strengthened and friendships be strengthened and uh, parent-child relationships be strengthened. May, we be, wait, may your Holy Spirit be sh shaping us to be more honest people of uh, greater justice, people of greater love for each other. We need that, Father. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we can only pray these things because you do love us, that you're, you have sent your Son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins. You have given us Christian community. You have given us your Holy Spirit. You have given us your Word. And you have invited us in all of these things. You've, by the power of all these things, you've invited us into your throne room. And so we come here asking you our request in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And now, if you can, confess with me the words of the Nicene Creed. This is found in your bulletin. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, 
light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
please stand. And now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you. Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Look around, talk to people, build that relationship, make the love of God in Jesus Christ complete in community. Go in peace.